Welcome to Feminine Founder, where we talk all things recruiting, hiring, and business and entrepreneurship. I'm Caroline Finnington, your host. Today, I have Colleen Serringer with me. Colleen is a fractional chief well-being officer. She's a guest speaker and podcaster. She's a mental health, equity, and well-being, well-being and behavior change expert and chief member. So welcome, Colleen. Thank you. So I'd love to hear the story. I'm fascinated with what a chief well-being officer is and what you're doing. And I'd love to hear the story of how you got into it and what you're doing now. Okay, absolutely. So first and foremost, again, my thank you. It's always an honor to be invited and to be at the table. So I really do appreciate it. Um, Okay, so this answer could be pretty long and involved. Um, So long story short, I, I think it's important to start by saying that the chief well-being officer role is is not new. I, I think it's maybe a newer term for a lot of businesses, right? For a lot of maybe other people that are hearing it. But in my world, in my population health, health promotion world, it's always been there. We just never really thought it would come to fruition. And so so that kind of helps me um, back into a little bit of, of my background and then how I've how I've gotten to where I am today and where I hope to be, if you will. So 25 years ago, I, I graduated in the population health, health education, health promotion world. I've always then in turn worked in the workplace. Um, I chose that route really because a person like myself could have gone to the community. We could have gone to community health centers and you know hospital systems and things like that. But the workplace offers such a unique opportunity given there are people that are there and they come with a different set of challenges. Or you could say they come with all of their challenges because of who they are as human beings. And I think we'll probably touch on that a little bit throughout our conversation. But so I've so I've always been in the workplace in this space. About 13 13-ish years ago, I went back to school and got my PhD. And I chose that because I wanted to continue to advance myself and try to advance this well-being industry in the context of the workplace by way of health behavior policies. And so really started to hone in on my craft um, throughout the PhD as well. And then I, I probably should add throughout all of that time, that I was working in the workplace. I was either working as a on the as a consultant, um, so sitting at the table with organizations who were trying to tackle health and well-being in their workplace, or I had the opportunity to to work with some organizations actually inside their organization and serve as like a um, a well-being manager or you know a well-being you know director. And so that really is kind of the key: the well-being manager and the well-being director. The key piece in regards to this chief well-being officer role is that if we are going to really try to make an impact or really try to make a dent in what well-being in the workplace is and what is required of it, we have to have somebody that is is leading the charge, is leading the boat, driving the boat, if you will. And so, yes, there are some of these health promotion um, type roles, they often sit within human resources or human resources is often tasked with this work. And the unfortunate thing is that when human resources has been tasked with it, it found it, it finds itself really buried underneath benefits. 
I think there's a tie there, right? 100%. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to say that there isn't, but that's just health benefits is just one piece of well being. So, all that to say, the chief well being officer role, I think, again, when I think about timing, where we are in, um, just in, the, just in work in general, especially coming out of the pandemic. It put a lot of spotlight on things that we always knew were important, but maybe we were just deciding to, to turn an eye and, and not, not focus on them. And so people, companies started to realize, okay, if we are going to really demonstrate to employees that, that, that their health matters, that we understand they are challenged with a lot of human things, we need to pull this out from human resources and give it a title, give it a big chief role at the table so that we are not just talking the talk, we're also walking the walk. So earlier this year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a risk on myself and I'm going to see if I can support companies in doing that. So I decided to go out on my own and become this chief well-being officer, hopefully for more than one company, through the lens of a fractional employee, which really, at the end of the day, means a part-time employee. I think a lot of companies who could benefit from this role don't necessarily need someone at the table full-time. I think someone could support this work from a part-time standpoint. Um, and so anyways, that that's kind of the long, long-winded way to say how this chief well-being officer role came about and why I myself am really kind of qualified, right, to be in the position of the chief well-being officer role, given given my background. I think you positioning yourself as a fractional chief well-being officer is brilliant because a lot of companies would like to do these programs, but yeah, they don't need to hire someone full-time to do it. They just need someone to come in and kickstart a program for them or show them the roadmap, you know, for X amount of time. and then. They can do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, the way that I've been talking about it is um, I think about the way a, a good psychologist will say to their to someone, a, a new patient, right? They'll say, my goal is to set you up for success. And then you come in when you feel like you need it. And that's the opportunity of a fractional. We can set a company up for success based on all the, the research, all the things that we know companies need to have in place in order to make well-being well or make well-being work. And then I can step away and come back X amount of times throughout the year to do pulse checks, if you will. How are we doing? Do we have any cracks in our foundation? So I, I too think that the fractional is positioned in, in a good spot, especially because I think there is some, I don't know, I still think there's some concern or some fear about really pulling this, you know, out um, and giving it a seat at the table. So I appreciate the vote of confidence. So can you explain to our listeners what a chief well-being officer is and how exactly do they help companies? Yeah, so so this role since it has that chief and you can you can simply call it well-being leader. The bottom line is that it's either a C-suite or a high level high level leader um ship position. So it has to have an executive um title. And so ultimately what this individual is, is meant to do is to really, they hold the responsibility for leading, articulating, and really pulling together a comprehensive well-being strategy within an organization. And basically what that means is that we're, we're independent of HR, but, and this is a key, 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 key thing, not only, not, not 
only are we independent of HR, we are closely collaborating with HR in addition to closely collaborating with every single other department within an organization. So whether that's the safety team, the sales team, the client success team, legal, you name it, our role is to serve is that collaborator in order to build this comprehensive strategy, if you will, because every single one of those departments has a person or a human that comes with health, right? And they're how they are from a health standpoint, how they function from a health standpoint is impacting every single business outcome. They sit in the middle of it. And so that it's it's such a it's such a critical piece to call out with that that um, comprehensive aspect that we really are, we need the full partnership. So not only are we next to HR, but we're collaborating really closely because they too will have a lot of culture work um, as well. So a couple of other things that, that I'll call out in regards to, you know, what they do or what we do and how we develop it. So that expertise in population, um, population health management is imperative. And so when I'm talking about population health, you know, we think about chronic condition prevention and management, right? Um, we think about mental health. We think about occupational health. There's a lot of things that fall under health. And those of us that um, are experts, we have a different way of looking at that. And so definitely we need to be that expert in population health, but also in organizational health management. So think about that industrial organizational psychology side. We really do have to have an expertise in that too, so that we can bring those two things together um, to build a healthier culture, climate, and ultimately a person. I'll just call out two things because this one I think could be like, this could also be an extremely long-winded answer, but the other thing that a chief well-being officer, you know, we need to have a really deep understanding in data um, because although I am a data nerd, hence the PhD, um, there is there's a place for data, but we have to respect that there's also data is going to fall short a little bit. But all that to say, if we're going to build this comprehensive strategy with every single aspect of an organization, HR, sales, client success, the data that we need to inform our strategy overall has to come from every single department. It can't just be um, health plan data or pharmacy data or workers' compensation data. It has to be a lot of data, all data points with, with under the umbrella. So that's really important. An individual that, that takes on this role has to have an understanding of data. Um, and then, of course, that ability to really integrate population health into each functional area of the organization, it, that can be tricky um, because we know that well-being is not one size fits all. Departments within organizations are certainly not doing the same work. Therefore, there may be some some different levers right, that need to be pulled. And so, so a chief well-being officer really kind of has that awareness and that understanding to thread that expertise throughout. That's a great segue to my next question because, I mean, you mentioned a couple of different mental health, occupational health, you know, wellness. I mean, what topics are you finding the most important when it comes to the well-being of employees right now? Yeah, so so I I am so thankful that I would say the most important topic that I feel like is front and center is mental health. 
Um, I hate that. I hate that I'm saying that that's the one present day that's most front and center center because it's always been there. That was another one of those, you know, pandemic spotlights. It's kind of it's again. I always want to be super um, super mindful that there was a lot of negativity that came from the pandemic, but something so positive was that it showed us the cracks in the surface, and one of those was um, mental health, and so. So I say that to say that I do think that a lot of organizations are focused on that, which I'm super thankful for. It's much bigger than resources and stigma. That 100% is a big feat in itself, but it is so much bigger than resources and stigma. It lends itself, and this takes me back to that collaboration piece. Mental health really is rooted in every single business practice. The way that we're receiving messages from leadership, the way that Maybe the culture says one thing, but the climate or like the team environment that I work in that says another, those things together are mental health, right? That impacts the, the, the person's ability to, to, work, um, to work really well for that given day, right? Also things that, that fall within mental health that, again, goes back to that collaboration. When I think about, when I think about the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and I'm so thankful we're also um, really rolling up our sleeves and looking at when I think of mental health and inclusion, the crossover and the collaboration opportunities that are there to help move that. And I hate to use this word, but to help move that agenda faster at a more, um, a more efficient rate is there because again, the underpinnings of mental health and inclusion. Um, so, so all that to say, when I think about what is coming to the surface, as far as one of the most kind of critical topics, I have to point to mental health. It's always been there. I think we were afraid to talk about it, right? Just because there's a lot of intricacies to it. But if you look at all of the efforts that really are taking place for this kind of future of work, even though I would argue we're already here at the future of work, mental health is really at the root of every single one of them. Really, a lot of companies do things around workout programs or wellness or a lot of physical fitness, which is obviously very important and does impact your mental health. But they don't offer resources when it comes to mental health, like maybe a fractional mental health professional that can come in confidentially or, you know, I don't know what, what their ideas or what scenarios you've seen out there, but I mean, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. No, I totally agree. And I love that you went there with the um, a part-time. So that is something that um, in my my past consulting life that is 100% something that I talk to companies about today is that on-site social worker, licensed therapist, however, however that you want to phrase them. I can remember easily 10 years ago, when some companies were actually doing that, they were providing that on-site social worker. We'll, we'll call it social worker. They were providing that person. And they were building their culture around the acceptance to go in, to walk into that office and not feel ashamed. Fast forward, we are seeing other companies pause and say, hmm, do we have an opportunity here? And my argument is always a yes and the additional opportunity that's there that, again, I don't think we often think about with social, with um, with um, mental health is there are some employees out there that 
don't have all of the the resources that they need from an income standpoint to keep things like their lights on or to change their tires or whatever the case may be, right? What's amazing about that social worker, if you were to bring them in from a part-time standpoint or even from a full-time standpoint, is not only can they see patients, if you will, or, or people, but they can also help find community resources that maybe could support someone who's just fallen on hard times. So I love that you went there. It is probably one of my most favorite things to talk about with organizations where there's an opportunity if there's some dollars to be invested. Yeah. And even if, you know, people weren't comfortable going into an office, then offering a stipend, you know, for their employees to use to do that, you know, have that resource if they choose weekly or biweekly or whatever is necessary at the time. Because you're right, there's situations that happen with employees. I mean, I've worked in recruiting and employment. I've seen it all. Yeah. And a lot of times they're just situational things that people go through and everyone goes through things. There's no one who doesn't deal with any issue. Yeah. And I think that's great that, that you you're seeing that too. Yeah. Lots um, of opportunities in mental health tons. I mean, what, what do companies have to lose when they don't invest in the well-being of their employees? So this question, so this is the only time that I am going to turn a person into a dollar figure. And I hate that I have to do this, but businesses, I respect that this is what they need, right? To help kind of think through the business case. Totally respect that. So like I said, it's the only time I'm going to do it and I hate that I have to do it. So when I think about this question and the way that I would answer it, it strictly goes to turnover, And so I know like a lot of folks in my position might say, oh, you know, they're like, they have to, people need to be healthier. And so medical claims and right, all of that stuff, they're going to lower healthcare costs. I disagree. I think it's turnover. And I think, not disagree. Yes, 100% that those medical claims and pharmacy, all of that stuff is there. But when I think about what a company has to lose, I think about the fact that our... Um, resource pool for hiring, it's shrinking. You have baby boomers, right, that are 100% taking themselves out of the workplace. You have Gen Xers, I'm a Gen Xer, that are saying, hmm, maybe I can do this differently. Then you have, let's go to the Gen Z, they have found ways to really make gig work work for them. They have found ways to make online businesses work for them. They may never even have to step foot inside the four walls of an organization. And so not only that, Gen Z is also, and maybe, you know, you could argue some of the other generation, the other generations are doing this too, but people are no longer really thinking about, I need to stay at this job for a long time. And so there is a lot of job hopping, right? And so again, that's where my mind goes when I think about turnover. I think about the expense that is a literally a hard dollar profit loss when we have to go through the entire process of recruiting and onboarding a new person. And if we are doing that regularly, talk about a profit hit. And so I, to me, that is what a company has to lose is, sure, we may say, hey, we're back to it being an employer's world. Sure. But I, I'm concerned about the, the resource pool. I think it's going to continue to get smaller and smaller, and we, and we need people to take these jobs, and we also need companies to not be spending this big dollar output for consistently replacing talent. 
So that's how I would answer that question. There, because as someone who's been in the recruiting and talent world, I talk about this all the time. I mean, the cost of turnover can be up to 75% of that person's salary. And that's a blend of actual time and then revenue. And that can be revenue. Maybe they were in production, maybe they were not, but the time invested adds up really quickly. And especially if if you look at all the time you spent interviewing, recruiting, all that onboarding, then it takes them at least three to four months to get somewhat even ramped up. We're really looking at like four, five to six months. Wow. And then if they leave, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to employees that want to leave. And the two year mark is like the, the norm now. Wow. And so I talk to employees all the time and they want to leave because the company culture Always. That's the number one thing I've been talking to candidates this year in 2023 about. And the culture piece has a lot to do with how much companies are investing in their employees Mm -hmm. and whether or not it's articulated in a wellness or a health and wellness or mental health or whatever way they're not taking care of their employees. And so you're right. It just comes back to turnover and it's a dollar amount and it's a huge expense. I mean, human capital is the biggest expense for 99% of employers. Yeah. Yeah. Big opportunity there. I mean, and and it's, it's messy and it's to say that this work is easy. It's not, but if you can invest in it again, from someone leading the charge, it can be done and it can be done safely and thoughtfully. Um, so anyways, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're in alignment there with the, the turnover dollar cost because it's such a big opportunity and the culture piece. Definitely. And I think I brought up the culture piece because I think employee well-being is a huge part of the culture mm-hmm. and companies and people, I mean, excuse me, people, employees feel that. And that's why they talk to me every single day because they're not feeling it and they want to work for a company that does want to invest in them as a human being. Um, and so that leads me to my next question. I follow you on LinkedIn. I love your content out there. You did a post the other day that said, mm-hmm. How do you know if you have a well a well being a well employee at work? So, what advice would you give to companies that are maybe starting their well being journey? Yeah, so I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. Think about it, a chief well being officer, right? <laughs> and at minimum, all jokes aside, at minimum, this you have to have a human being that's that's leading this charge. We can no longer and I. I have a lot of friends that work in HR. We have set them up for failure, right? By giving them this wellness task on top of all of the other things they're doing. And so again, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it's time to give someone this as their job. So that's that's definitely the the, the key thing. The other thing that I would say is that that if you're if you're a company that's just starting out. And your mind is going to where a lot of organizations go. And I respect this because it's it feels safe and easy. But again, the work isn't easy per se. But this is not a check the box effort. And so a lot of organizations will immediately go to physical activity challenges or some form of like challenge, right? And I personally think don't waste your money. I think instead start by investing in your people. And so that post that you're talking about, like, how do you know if you have a well person? I think it immediately even goes back to what you just said, right? With being in the recruiting business, pause, 
and take a look at your environment and your culture. What is your turnover like? Um, do you do have you given your employees opportunities for growth and advancement? And are you showing them what that looks like? That creates a well person, right? Are you simply just pausing and thinking about these individuals based on your based on whatever your um, industry is? Individuals that are coming from work are maybe taking a bus, right? Maybe they're traveling hours just to get to work. So, if, so, so to me, the quote unquote easiest way to start to think about this work is think about who your people are. Really dive into what you know about them. Will that include some numbers and some data? Absolutely. But even if you don't have access to that kind of stuff, you can simply go to the CDC's website or look at what what America or if you're global, you know, whatever your country is is dealing with. Your employees are dealing with those exact same things because they make up that survey data. So so that's another thing that I would that I would add is really just pause and think about who how how do your people get to work? Who are they? What's their highest education level? Some of these really, I feel like they're simple. I respect that they can feel challenging, but those things will help us then back into, okay, are they, because of our maybe pay rate, are they having to sacrifice purchasing healthy foods because of, you know, because of budget needs, right? Um, Do they have access to affordable childcare? Um, That's not only affordable, but safe. So it's those, if we expand our minds to think about it, then we can really back into what well really means, which is a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, And how, and again, just how can we bring that then into the workplace? How can our listeners find you? So right now I am only a LinkedIn-er. I do not have a website. All of that is coming soon. Um, but definitely please check me out on LinkedIn, Colleen Seringer. If you just put that in the, the Google section, you'll be able to find me. Thank you again for your time, Colleen. Thank you.